need a bigger boat. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Life, uh, finds a way. Welcome back to Spielberg Chronologically. This is the podcast for myself, Jeff, and Eric. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing well, thank you, sir. We go through every single one of Steven Spielberg's films in chronological order, and we occasionally do some bonus episodes. Yeah, yeah. So this week, uh, I don't know, several weeks ago, several months ago, it suddenly struck me. I was flipping through HBO, and I saw that Super 8 was on there. And I haven't seen it for maybe five years. And I thought, oh, we got to do Super 8. Like, Super 8 is a perfect bonus episode. Because it is it is uh, super Spielberg-y. And Spielberg was heavily involved in the uh, in the making of the film. And uh, he was a producer on the film. And it is a film that actively, openly attempts to reproduce the uh, the vibes of like a classic 80s Spielberg film. Like an E.T. or an E.T. Kind of an E.T. E. 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 Maybe a little Goonies, <laughs> which was also not a Spielberg film. That was Richard Donner, yeah, but I, I he, was, he was there, you know, like there's there's some Goonies DNA in there and uh, maybe a little Rob Reiner Stand By Me going on in yeah, there. Yeah, I was thinking sort of like Stand By Me, uh, you know, kind of, I, I think I would say it's if E.T. and War of the Worlds were the same movie, maybe. Right, right. If you just kind of put them in a blender, Super 8 comes out. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what what is your history with this movie, Jeff? I saw the trailer, and for a long time I've just heard this movie is called as Train Monster, uh, and never watched it because I, I didn't care about a train monster. I see. Don't care. Didn't care. Jake, I, it just didn't. And I don't th- remember the trailer hitting on Spielberg's tone so hard. And I also really until starting this podcast really have any affection for like a Spielberg style okay. of of story like this. So there, there really was nothing at the time to draw me in to go watch it. So I never did. This gotcha. is my first viewing. Yeah, it turns out I, I discovered last night while doing my doing my research, as the kids say, I was doing my research. Uh, they filmed, He's talking about weed, folks. <laughs> they filmed that uh, that trailer uh, well before the movie was even written. Like they oh, okay, they had the concept for the movie and they kind of knew where it was going, but uh, it certainly hadn't even started production yet when they filmed that trailer. Separate, so different cinematographer um, was was for sure like a tease to get people interested while they went about the the tasks of production. So yeah, because it from memory it it doesn't say anything about the movie. I do remember it actually got people pretty hyped for it though. Like people were like, "Whoa, what's in the train?" It did. Well, this was after the age of Cloverfield, right? And J.J. Abrams' Cloverfield. I don't know if you remember that. I've when, never seen it, but it was a found footage monster movie. It was a found footage monster movie. Yeah, which was a fantastic, by the way. It's a really good, well worth a watch. Um, but it uh, it had this kind of viral campaign um, that that went on 
before the movie came out. It had uh, similarly yeah, remember, yeah. had like kind of an obscure trailer. And then there were like fake websites set up and like a mystery people could solve online. And, you know, like a little community kind of sprung up around it, trying to figure out what the movie was about. Um, so it was one of those deals. So I think this kind of, uh, people saw it and went, Oh, this is another Cloverfield or this is like similar to Cloverfield. And, and similarly, they set up some fake websites. They had little puzzles and things that people could figure out. Um, there was this whole thing that you could, uh, piece together online, these various clips. And when you put them all together, it was the super eight movie of, uh, the guys in the laboratory, uh, when mm-hmm. the one guy gets snatched up by the monster. Um, so yeah, like a pretty cool, marketing campaign um i remember not being super into a lot of that um let's see when was this movie it's uh 2011 so i was i was well into uh dealing with fatherhood things (laughs) at that point but i did uh make time to go see the movie because i did enjoy cloverfield jj abrams was on my radar i liked star trek you know um so i i did go see the the film and uh, really, really enjoyed it. Like, really, really enjoyed it to the point where I bought the Blu-ray. In fact, this might be the very first Blu-ray that I ever bought was, was Super 8. I think this is one that I bought with my Blu-ray player um, way back when. So, uh, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of this film. And I'm curious to, to hear, like, coming in cold without any knowledge other than train monster i i really kind of was blind to what the film was other than train monster i knew there was a monster that was on a train so what did you think i loved it i really really loved it um (laughs) and i think uh prepping watching all the spielberg we've watched set this movie up for success because we haven't had this style of Spielberg in a good long while. Right. And so while it definitely hits those ET vibes for me in the best possible way, I, I, I was on board 100%. There are things that I will critique, but generally speaking, half of the kids are really great. And, you know, kind of that adventure of the kids taking control and being the ones that save the world. I'm here for the character development in this movie is so good. I think super eight is a good movie even without the monster. And I think that's what makes it such a good monster movie is that, uh, the monster isn't the spectacle, right? Like, so I, I was watching this and I'm thinking of Godzilla, the 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 one with Brian Cranston, which I really don't like, um, because they the monster's barely in it, right? And so you would and the reason I was thinking of that is because it takes a long time for them to reveal the monster in this, but it didn't matter to me because the characters were so good and I was just here for them anyway. And I think that's what modern monster movies are missing is heart and those characters that you want to root for. And I just feel like the script tells this great story of these kids in different places being kids that 
even without the monster, I'm still here and I'm invested in the characters. Oh, yeah. And there's a monster. Absolutely. I, I 100% agree with you. And, and also on Godzilla, which is a piece of shit. Um, it's horror. It is horrible. Godzilla it's 98 so is better somehow. And it's not even a Godzilla movie. I absolutely agree. And I also didn't like Godzilla versus Kong very much either. I did like I the standalone King Kong it. movie. The standalone King Kong is actually pretty entertaining. The one with Sam the Jackson. Skull Island. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I think if you pulled the monster out of this movie and just had it, the kids running around making their own Super 8 film and the family dynamics and or even dealing with the military for some reason you know yeah. like they're the ones sneaking in and 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 kind of subverting the plans of the adults you know yes but i mean like the monster is the icing on the cake and and when when the shit hits the fan in this movie like it's the thing i always say and i probably have said it before on this con on on this uh on this podcast uh, the difference between a good mo- horror movie and a bad horror movie is that a good horror movie takes the time to develop the characters before it puts them in danger, right? Yep. A bad hor- horror movie just starts killing people. So in this film, uh, I, I wouldn't call them bad. I think I've said this before when you made that point, because there is a place for Jason to just go no, through yes. and, a- and a- have fodder, agreed. but it is a different thing like a different vibe yeah right and you have to those are kind of harder i think to pull off in a lot of ways because anyway we're side i'm getting sidetracked yeah yeah so so like essentially like you get a good block of time with these kids before the shit hits the fan with the train accident right like you already know the kids pretty well you're pretty clear on the dynamics between them you're into you know about joe lamb's family situation you know there's something hinky between his dad and alice's dad you're starting to see this relationship unfold between joe and alice and and like the rest of the kids just you know alice has this moment where she just awes the rest of the kids before anything weird happens it's just a movie about these kids running around town sneaking and making this zombie movie right and then when the train happens the whole movie just slams into overdrive it's like oh my god like i think the train But it also still has a lot of character moments even after the train absolutely yes the, the the train crash and all the stuff around that and the explosions and this awesome adventure and then they slow down again to get back into Joe and Ellie Fanning's character's story and kind of building their little sort of teen romance thing going on and the drama with him and the friends and his dad and just kind of taking their time. And, oh, here's a little monster and we're back to the story. And it was definitely one thing I can say about it is I wasn't sitting around like, where the hell is this monster? No, you know, absolutely just, not. I was here for the characters the whole way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I like how each of the kids has their own distinct personality. Like, we kind of talked about the kids when we watched E.T., how, you know, we, we really enjoyed the dynamic of the neighborhood guys having your back, you know. Yeah. But but to an extent, the three friends in that movie do kind of fade together a little bit, right? Well, there's glasses. and right. then. <laughs> You know, they were basically, their character trait was what they happened to be wearing. What they had on their face, yeah. Yeah, well, this definitely, uh, what is it, we got five, six friends or so, we got the filmmaker, um, who pretty much runs this crew, Joe, who is our lead, uh, and does makeup, Alice, who is 
kind of I, the, maybe the school crush. I don't know if it's like a school crush for all of the boys or just this group. She uh, seems, did you have a? The, yeah, like to me, it felt like she was like a couple years older than the kids. I know when yeah. they filmed it, she was actually only twelve, but I think in the movie, she's supposed to be of like fourteen, maybe. Like she's okay. just a couple years older than the kids, and she's kind of like the. You know, the girl that you see around the neighborhood and everyone's like, oh, it's her. Let's check it out. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. did you did you grow up uh, like I there was a girl in middle school and I think even into high school that all the boys are like, oh, and I don't want to say her name, but, uh, you know, you just, oh, there she is. It's the, the, the prettiest girl in school. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, that that happened. That kind of made me wonder, like, because the way they sort of reverently, I asked Alice to be in the film, and she said yes. They're like, what? You know? Yeah. Of course, they're teen boys, and, like, all girls are like, what? Girl. My my sister was three years older than me, and so her friends, I was always kind of like, ooh, about. But uh, <laughs> but even, like, at, at my own age as well, there were always a couple of girls running around school that, like, all the boys were you know, super into. It's funny. I reconnected with a friend from middle school about two or three years ago. And, uh, he had left high school, uh, freshman year. So like when he left one of the girls that he wildly crushed on, uh, ended up becoming like a pretty good friend of mine, you know, as we got older and then he started asking about her and I was like, Oh yeah, this and this and this. And he's like, what? Like yeah. you, you, you knew her, like you hung out with her. It's like, yeah, man. Like you were twelve. Like, <laughs> get a grip. <laughs> yeah. So we 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 have Alice, who's I guess maybe an aspiring actress too, or something, because she is all in on this movie, like giving dedicated performance. I I don't know if she if she is an aspiring actress. I think that. Charles, the director kid, just has an eye, and I think he picked her out and asked her to do it, and I think she shows up, and then all of a sudden, it's revealed that she just has this natural talent. I don't know, because he specifically asks her because he likes her. Like, Mm -hmm. it wasn't purely a, I think she's got it in front of the camera. It was, I want to get to know her. That's true. So, the pretense of my movie is what I'll do, and oh- she happens to be really good at acting too. Yeah, I think like it's a surprise to all of them though when she turns it on, right? Yeah, it, it, it's one of those things where she just flips a switch and she's doing it, and all the kids and and the audience of the movie too is like, oh wait, shit! Like they're all you know delivering kid lines. You know, I really need to talk to you about the thing that is happening, mm-hmm. and, and then she comes in and she delivers this like natural intense filmic performance you know in this little kid movie and uh it's it's a fantastic moment like you see them all all of their reactions like the kid on the background who's supposed to be faking like he's on the phone and he just he just stops faking and turns to watch her because it's so you know like incredible i think another great alice moment is when uh and the, the the moment where i really knew that i just loved this movie was when Joe is putting on her zombie makeup and he's kind of giving her instructions on how to be a zombie. And then again, she just flips the switch and she just does it. And, yeah. and it's so great. And just the look on his face and uh, 
you know, she kind of like bites his neck and he's like, oh, you know. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's fantastic. He he did not object to that. Uh, yeah, I like their little uh, dynamic. I think they're they're great characters on screen. You're rooting for them to 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 get the girl. You also had now. I don't know these kids by name very much, but you have the whiner who is the guy who was acting opposite her in that scene before the train crash who just is always scared. Like I'm I'm gonna pee. I'm gonna puke. Glasses guy. Uh, yeah yeah um he was always frightened and i was the there was another guy who i just kind of felt was like there well he uh, kind of takes a back seat you know like he was he on has, the phone you yeah, know yeah he um, he doesn't go with them when they go off to break into the school and everything he stays behind because there's no extra seats in the car so yeah he's a little he's a little sidelined in the movie yeah and he's probably before this film probably the most recognizable kid actor to me like i've seen him in other stuff um but yeah he's probably also the most forgettable of the bunch because he's in the movie the least yeah and then probably the most et spielbergian one is the the kid with the braces who loves explosions (laughs) that's his entire arc like he is down like he's the guy we remember like hey we're gonna go save et and his friends are just down that's this kid he's awesome (laughs) like we got to go get him he's like i got a bag full of explosives (laughs) let's go you know (laughs) he is the scene stealer he's the kid with the wisecracks who always has some shit to say and you know like is gonna like bust the other kids and so on yeah it's funny that the kid uh with the glasses um you're right he is like probably the most timid out of them all um and he ends up well he's the one like when that guy dies in front of them he immediately like projectile vomits and like he is definitely (laughs) the softest of the kids yeah and in like even in the movie you can see like he's bigger than the rest of the kids he's probably better looking than the rest of the kids and i was looking i was looking up all the kid actors and that guy now like he's still in stuff um he looks like a Marvel superhero, that kid. Yeah. Like, he is so good looking. Like, when you look at his IMDb picture, it's like, oh, damn, okay, that's what happened to him. And you, <laughs> you can already kind of see it, uh, like, around, you know, around the edges of the character. They put the glasses on him, and he's, he's kind of stooped over. But he's already much more of an adult, I think, than the rest of the kids. Uh, yeah. In the, I mean, at least physically. Yeah. Uh, in the movie. So yeah, I think I think the crew of kids that they assemble is fantastic. Like just fantastic. I I, I particularly have affection for Charles the director. I I love So I, I wanted to talk cuz I think he creeps up to the line of being too annoying. He get right there. He doesn't cross over. There wasn't a point where I was like I'm sick of this kid. But his character is so bossy and yells and tells everyone to shut up so much throughout all of the film. But I think they they balanced it perfectly. I'm, I'm trying to say this is a compliment. But he was kind of annoying me, but not so much where it, it messed up the movie. He got close, though. <laughs> he got a little close. I... I love his single-minded determination to make this goddamn movie. Yeah. Like he is gonna make this movie come hell or high water, and and 
like the way he lords it over Joe, like you're not going to help me make the movie. You're not going to let me blow up your train. You didn't let me. That's the, he has no respect. Like you're not going to let me blow up your stuff. I'm so mad at you. Yeah, uh, the way he's he's perfectly willing to like emotionally blackmail the other kids to get them to do what he wants. Um, yeah. But you know, like if you, if you're a kid and you're trying to put something like that together, like it's just to hold that group of kids together. Like we've talked about it in terms of podcasts before. Like to find somebody who's willing to stick with you, right? Yeah. And to hold that group of kids together long enough to make something that is coherent has to be damn near impossible and that kid is a hundred percent committed to getting that thing done and i i absolutely love how he turns lemons into lemonade <laughs> like the train the train <laughs> explodes and like goes everywhere and the next day they're there filming that with as with that as the backdrop for production yeah. value right <laughs> He's immediately like, oh. when the trains come in production value <laughs> go <laughs> it's fantastic the same thing where they get the idea to film the army the the air force scene the Air Force guys are like searching the uh, the school teacher's house, and they get the idea to dress one of them up as, as an Air Force guy and go film <laughs> in front of the Air Force guys searching the house. It's fantastic. It's like so audacious and clever, and exactly what a kid they, would do. They are the kind of kids I would probably want to be friends with at that age. Like oh, just one hundred percent, hang out and and I don't know how much I could get behind his friend because I'm a I don't know, like, I'd like someone with that kind of gusto, but at the same time, I feel like he would cramp my style. <laughs> I'm a bit of an off-the-cuff kind of guy, and he doesn't seem that way to me. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure not not terribly off-the-cuff, like you say. He, like, he, he, he would has grow an up agenda. to be a Kubrick, uh, you know. Well, he would definitely grow up to, like, make movies, right? Yeah. Like, like in I think that he is the character that maybe the filmmakers like put themselves into the movie, you know, like that's the kid who's, who's figuring it out. You know, I'm sure it was his idea to make the, the aluminum foil nails to smash the zombies head into, you know? Yeah. Uh, which is a very really solid good kill. Idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a solid kill in the, in a kid movie, you know? Um, like, yeah, I just, I, I don't know. I, I really like that the, the the character and i like the actor that they have playing him and i i looked and this kid is only in two movies that's it like he was done um he sort of reminded me of kevin McAllister's older brother buzz a little yeah, bit Yeah, a little bit yeah yeah but i love the whole like jesus christ mom i'm coming like the metal, <laughs> yeah <laughs> aspect to him i like uh, that family's house that was a that was something very spielberg and cozy about that sort of loud messy you know very real sort of home environment you know like obviously joe had lost his mom um in a in an accident and he wasn't very close with his dad to begin with and so they're like you're always welcome here and i kind of like that a lot because it is this big messy loud but there's a level of hey we love these kids you know this is our life and uh, I, I sort of appreciated. Yeah, the fact that they give Joe like a safe place in like a family environment. Um Charles's dad is uh one of the guys from Brooklyn Nine Nine. I don't know if you've ever yep. on the show. Yep. But I, I spotted him immediately. I was like, Oh, I forgot he was in this. Um 
But yeah, the, their whole family dynamic is great. And I love the way the running gag with the photo mat and the older sister yep. comes back. Like, <laughs> I, I also like uh, where he's like, your hot sister. And he's like, huh? not the other one. Like, why would, why would he do that? <laughs> you know? What's up with your hot sister? What? Which one are you talking about? I don't know. Uh, yeah. funny, dude. Yeah, the the whole thing with the photo mat guy, like carting them around later in the movie and getting and stoned. What kind of music does she like? I don't know. Disco? And then the next time you see him in the car, disco's playing. I yeah. can get back into disco. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, just really good stuff throughout. Like nothing, like all the little characters and everything felt purposeful and fleshed out and... I mean, crying, whining guy, maybe, or the one guy we said who's just kind of in the background. But other than that, like, I, I loved all of those little character moments. Yeah. And I mean, with any group of kids, you're going to have that kid, right? Yeah. Like, you're going to have the crying kid. Uh, God, man. I remember one time I went on a, a camp out and it was with a bunch of randos. It was like a Boy Scout event. And we just had to go out into the woods and sleep in a pup tent overnight and I got put in the pup tent. It was like a two-man tent, and I got put in there with the crying kid. Uh, oh, my God. It was like, <laughs> like I wasn't the most like masculine you know, kid around. No, I'm not but saying I'm, they shouldn't cry, but there are some kids who are just like, but this right, kid was like <laughs> emotionally unable to handle the night in the tent away yeah. from his mom. Like he a hundred percent, we were like maybe 12 or 13 years old and this kid was not ready to leave the house. And, uh, oh my God, he just cried all night. So yeah, you, like you get the crying kid, the, so cry, we, <laughs> the crying kid I, is a real thing. That brings up a story. So my dad, you know, my parents divorced when I was two. So my brother and I are young teenagers, maybe even preteen. And my dad's dating this woman and she has a son our age. So he comes over for a sleepover and me and my brother get into it. Screaming match. You know, we don't put hands on each other at that point, which is rare. Normally we would, we would go at it, you know, and afterwards we didn't think anything else about it. You know, we had this screaming match. My dad comes over and goes, well, their mom broke up with me. <laughs> and we're like, what? He goes, apparently you boys were fighting. And I was, you were like, yeah. And my dad goes, well, I didn't want to, you know, just essentially like, ah, if he couldn't handle it, whatever. You know, like he was <laughs> did, so didn't care. He's like, oh, whatever. <laughs> my boys are going to fight. It happens. Punk kid. <laughs> like we, That's awesome. One of those moments where you're like, man, dad's awesome. Like he didn't, <laughs> That's a great he story. wasn't mad at us or anything. He's like, she's going to break up with me because my boys were fighting. Whatever. You know, awesome. Yeah, that's pretty great. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about the monster, uh, which I think from a design standpoint is one of the weaker parts of the film. It's, um, it's something that kind of happens with these monster movies and even into the early superhero films where the big bad villain is just a big gray mass of computer animation. Um, yeah. and I feel that way about this character. It's a, it's a big gray mask. It's often shrouded in darkness, which is fine because it hides the seams and it doesn't take you out to be like, Ooh, that looks horrible, which is I'm fine with, but this thing is just like, 
kind of a spider. It's with kind of human a spider. Hands? I, yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I think I think the decision to keep it hidden for most of the movie was wise. Right. I agree. Um, and I think that, like, I'll, I'll, like, I like the lore around the monster. Like, I like that the uh, the teacher, you know, has a psychic connection with the monster because the monster touched him, you know, and so he's actually trying to free the monster. And I like that the monster, like, started out as benevolent, but the military just tortured the hell out of it. Um, and, and now it's become more hostile. Uh, I like that the monster isn't necessarily killing everyone and it's like keeping them alive down there. It's just like, I was like, kind of curious as to why, like, is there a, like in aliens, they capture them so they can use them as host for new babies. I was kind of curious as to why this monster was capturing them and keeping them. Well, I, I, I thought of it as two different ways. Like, Way number one is that it's just like taking obstacles and stringing them up and putting them on the ceiling, and that's the end of that. Uh, way number two is that it's eating them. I, I and, and okay. Uh, I I kind of seem to think that there was one scene where he was kind of eating somebody. They did say that. Yeah, yeah. I, like I, I don't know. He was eating them at a pretty slow pace because the sheriff was still there and the lady in rollers. Who I thought that was a great callback earlier. The cops really the good. call. Yeah. yeah. Um, she's still there and Alice is completely unharmed. So if he is eating them, he's, uh, he's eating them pretty slow. Um, so I, I maybe like all when he that. touches them. There's this sort of psychic exchange and maybe you can tell like, okay, Alice is kind and I'm not going to eat her. Right. But maybe this cop I'll get to later. <laughs> or whatever. Well, yeah. And then captain nellick or whatever his name nope. was he gets killed on the spot like the thing right. is not he's like either this guy's done like <laughs> well I am over for a couple reasons dude. i think is is because of the aforementioned sort of mistreatment but also he unloads a clip from his gun into the into the monster and the monster's like okay fine you know and so he doesn't get an opportunity for salvation no it fair fairly you know i think i i think the monster behaves in a monster ethical manner you know like like when he makes the connection with joe like all right the monster design is not the best the special effects are not terrible you know, it's just it's it's, yeah. a C, it's a CG monster, but I do think the scene where he makes the connection with Joe and his eye things kind of slit open and he has like relatable human esque eyes. It's an interesting touch. Like I don't, I don't know if the eyes really fit with the rest of the design, right. but I, I think it symbolically allows them to kind of make a connection. You know, and and uh, he realizes at that point that Joe is benevolent and. And, you know, Joe realizes that all he is trying to do is get the hell out of there. And it also gives Joe the opportunity to kind of like come to terms with all the emotional turmoil that he's going through in the background of this movie. Right. Like we, we've we've talked a lot about the story and the kids and all that and how great it was. But, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that the lead in the movie is dealing with this trauma that has nothing to do with what's going on in the movie right like and so uh i think joe being able to express to the monster you know like this bad thing happened to you but you don't have to continue being bad like you can go on with your life you can move on and just get the hell out of here you know 
uh yeah it's an interesting moment like it's it's cool the way it plays out um and then the monster like leaves you know uh so like all of that stuff around like aside from the monster design i kind of like the way the monster is utilized i agree i i I do think the design is kind of you know it's just your standard there's nothing like you if i had a t-shirt on with that monster no one would go oh hell yeah the monster from super eight Right. You know what I mean? Like you could aforementioned Godzilla or even Godzilla 98. People will be like, oh man, Godzilla 98. Where'd you get that shirt? You know, this just, there's nothing appealing. And I, I think to the original Wonder Woman movie, the, the first Gal Gadot one, that when that guy turns into just a big gray cloud monster. Oh God. I don't even remember what that thing looks like. Right. Or doomsday even from (laughs) same yeah, it's just a big gray monster, and that's kind of what's in here. There's no design to it. But if you think of the James Gunn Suicide Squad, you can still see that big starfish monster in your brain. Right. And you know, oh, that's right, you know. And so I don't think it needed it, you know, to have that sort of design because the characters are the main point and not the monsters. So I don't think having a big giant starfish as your monster necessarily <laughs> makes the movie better. I think it could make it worse. So I get why the monster looks the way it does because it is a background player to a story about characters. Yeah, and I'm sure the guys that like designed the monster worked real hard designing the monster, right? They did like just shit out some monster. Like they they probably <laughs> really really tried. It's got to be hard. It's got to be hard to design an original monster, right? Like, is this a tentacle monster? Is it an animal monster? What two animals are we mashing together to make this monster? <laughs> like, it's got to be kind of tough. Maybe maybe you give Guillermo del Toro a call and you say, hey, man, help us uh, out you, a little bit. Then you end up with a tentacle monster. <laughs> well, no, or you end up with the bald guy with eyeballs in with his hands. With eyeballs you know? in his hands, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's still, it's interesting because like all of our monsters end up with recognizable features like that come from our realm of existence, right? It's yeah. going to have eyeballs that are in his hands, but those are eyeballs, you know, like same thing with this guy. It's a spider with, with human eyes, you know, like, yeah, it's got to be hard to like really come up with something that is. I couldn't do it. Unrecognizable, you know, like Stranger Things. Well, you got your bird monsters. You got, you know, like you well, got your spider I, I, monsters. Talking about uh, a movie that kind of has a Spielbergian thing, it would be the original, not the original, but It Chapter One, the recent one. I was going to bring like, up It Chapter One because of the similarities to this. Yeah, film, but yeah, I it it's a almost flawless to me. I love it, and there's also the design of Pennywise is so interesting and unique. We've had plenty of scary clowns. But damn, they made the scariest one yet. You know, yeah. I just we could watch that movie. I don't know. <laughs> oh, dude, I'd I'd be down for watching that movie. I love those movies. And and it's another one where the kids are like superb. You like in, in that movie, yeah. there's there's not a kid in the bunch that isn't right. fantastic. Great. Like, those Completely. kids are amazing. Um, and then they did per like the adult casting when the sequel is just like how they how they do this. Exactly. I'm always like, anytime you get like an SNL alum, I'm I'm on board. So Bill Hader being there, I was like, as the the Finn Wolfhard character, whatever that guy's name is, 
Loved it. Yeah. I need to watch anyway. that, that second one again sometime. I've seen the first one a lot of times. I've only seen the second it's one. It's the better of the two halves, but yeah. It is, but they're both pretty solid movies. I, yeah, I, I didn't leave disappointed in the second one. So, um, I, I will say of the things that maybe didn't work as much, the relationship between Joe and his dad, I never felt got that well, real resolution into them actually kind of understanding one another. Yeah, I, I can't remember the guy who plays Joe's dad, what his name is. Kyle um, Chandler. Chandler, yeah, I like that guy. I, 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 I would see him in more movies. Every time he turns up, I'm like, oh yeah, this guy's Friday Night Lights guy. Like, he's, he's pretty good and stuff. Um, but yeah, I do think that the relationship between them is kind of underdrawn a little bit, you know, like sketched out and, and there are good, like the fight they have about Alice, him saying, you're not going to go to that guy's house and you're not hanging out with his daughter. That fight they have is really good. Like that performance and that scene. I just felt like we never get even though they they, at the end they hug it out and everything's fine, I don't feel like the arc of that is fully fleshed out enough, like where that didn't, that moment could have been a a tearing up moment of like a dad kind of getting it and then mourning together and just being a little bit more punchy. Um, I I agree. Yeah, I I feel like, well, you get the point, right? You get the point. The mom's dad, the dad, the dad is mourning on his own. He's kind of disconnected from the kid. The kid doesn't have the support of the one parent that he has left. So he's going elsewhere to look for that. Like you kind of like get what's going on there, but it's not as punctuated as you would like it to be. So the payoff at the end with the hug is not as resonant as it should be. Like, this is a weird ass comparison, but my wife and I are rewatching Gilmore Girls with our ten year old, and okay. I don't know. I don't know if you've ever watched Gilmore Girls. I couldn't do it because of the the stick, not staccato, but the the fact the cuts yeah. in the dialogue is just right on top of each other. I, yeah, I've never been able to sit through it. It's the same writer and director as Mrs. Maisel, which I wanted to bring up later in this podcast. But uh, the the whole. The thing that I like about the Gilmore Girls is that it just has the best fights. Like, the fights in the Gilmore Girls are epic. When one of those throws, a, they throw a snit fit, and they're just, like, going off, and, like, they're throwing in, like, cultural references and just the yeah. barbiest insults, you know, and they're flipping the hell out. And, and so it leads to, like, these really great character resolution moments, right? Like... Because, like, the emotional stakes are so heightened in in the moments where they freak out, then the resolution moments are really, really strong. And I feel like that's kind of what this movie is missing. You get the the tension between Joe and his dad, but it never quite seems to escalate to the point where that resolution feels like a payoff. I also yeah. kind of feel like the the thing between Joe's dad and Alice's dad is really sketchy, right? Like, yes, yeah. Alice's dad called in sick to work that day and Joe's mom got killed as a result, right? But I don't think that's all that's going on there. Like, it feels like there's there's history there. Like, maybe Joe's mom used to date this guy or... 
you know, maybe they all went to high school together and those two were at odds, you know, like so, so, something else is happening there I beyond the accident. At, the at least initially was that he was drunk on the job and his actions directly caused. That's what I thought her too. passing. But apparently it was he called in sick. She picked up the shift. And, you know, that's just sort of one of those fate things that I just. I can see why maybe he's mad at him in some un like grief can be unreasonable and I'd be okay with that. But it's like, a that's real enough. stretch for him to take it. <laughs> yeah. That's enough know. to explain him throwing him out of the, the funeral. Maybe like he's still like in the throes of grief and, and right. has this unreasonable anger at the time of the funeral, but it's not enough for like four months later. Hey, you don't see his daughter. He's trouble. Like, I don't know. Maybe the guy's been in legal trouble and Joe's dad has had to arrest him a bunch of times. I don't know, but it just, it definitely feels like there's some shared history there that goes beyond. And it's a small town, so it could yeah. be. Yeah. But they kind of, they do patch it up in just kind of a, I'm sorry, not your fault. And then they just kind of move on, you know, um, which is yeah. a nice resolution. It clears the way for Joe and Alice to have kissy face, which is what we really all want. Well, yeah. And what got the, the reason I, the fight that Joe and his dad do have is so good is because I'm so firmly on Joe's side. You know, I'm like, listen, my mom died and being with my friends and being with her is like the only good thing. Like I'm not getting anything from you. Yes. You know, and like it just felt so real. So you mentioned that it doesn't quite escalate. I kind of feel like that is a pretty good escalation. And I really like that fight because I'm firmly like if I'm in Joe's place, I'm like, fuck you. I'm going to do what I want. You know, like you. Yeah, who are you? I can see that. You know? Yeah, I can see that. I, I Anyway, yeah. I, I don't know what else is. To talk about, I, I appreciate the the spaceship kind of forming itself, those little cubes. Neat. Super cool. Like, what a yeah. cool touch. Yeah. I um, like it, too. I love the shot where the cube flies through the wall, and then they look at the direction that it flew, and it shows right into the water tower, like through the hole in the wall. Super cool. And like, then later you see them walking by, and the camera goes up, and that cu that little cube is still there trying to punch through the, the water tower, and it's just kind of rattling in place. Yeah. Um, I also like for a movie with not a ton of action beats, I in addition to the uh the train sequence, I also just want to make note of the scene where the military's weapons all start misfiring at once. <laughs> I thought was just so cool like yeah. the, the tags blowing the cars off the road and you know it, like just coming the chaos. off of um coming off of Indiana 4 the magnet the magnetism in this way better like way better. everything tanks are flipping over you know everything that's metal is moving to this one place uh so a lot more fun to be had with the magnetism in this film yes Okay, so I I got questions. Um, okay, if if you want to move on to it, because Let, I have I, I have some. Yeah, so just in the short, I wholeheartedly think if you're a Spielberg fan and you've skipped this for some reason, watch it because I really love this. This is one of the, my favorite films we've watched. Full stop. I, I'm so season. glad. 
I was yeah, really, I really worried that it. we were going to get onto this call and you're going to be like, ah. What would <laughs> oh I have God. hated though? You I know, don't like, know. I just have love I ever it come so to much. you with just unreasonable, like, never? This no. movie sucks, and you know, like, no. I, and I, I feel like we agree more than we disagree too. Uh, like maybe different levels of things, but I, I mean, there's the hook where I like hook more. An AI was one that we had different sides on, but I don't think I was hating on anything for the sake of hating on it no. i believe i brought my points and fairly so absolutely not. I, my, my worry was not a reflection of you yeah and, and saying that your opinions are unreasonable it was it's more a reflection of my love for this movie being okay. so deep <laughs> that i am concerned for its well-being that's <laughs> i on my other podcast so we were there was an opportunity to to watch uhf and i purposefully didn't do it you don't. Because I didn't want to cast my pearls uh, before someone who would not appreciate the film in the same way I do. So I get that. Yeah, I think that's... But it, rest easy knowing that I really loved this and would totally watch it again. Fantastic. Um, on that note, I'll, I'll scroll down to a, a later question. So I, I remember uh, seeing this movie in the theater for the very first time and... Uh, coming out of the theater and thinking oh this is a classic like this is a new class like this is this is a movie i'm going to watch for the rest of my life and it's it's not a common thing that occurs maybe that first it movie i felt the same way yeah and i started for sure thinking, on that one thinking of other ones that that i had that experience where i walked out of the theater and thought I'm keeping this one. I'm keeping this one for the rest of my life. And so the list that I came up with just off the top of my head in like two seconds this morning was Die Hard, uh, 28 Days Later, Shaun of the Dead, uh, Star Trek Four, the one with the whales. Oh, oh, oh you're, that, that movie holds a special place for me. I just love it. It's one of my dad's favorite movies. And so it's it's going back. Same. same. My dad took me to see it opening night, and it was a theater just packed full of Star Trek fans. I think it's the best Star Trek movie. They were whooping it up and clapping and stomping, and it was so fun. Uh, And Logan is the last one, probably the most recent one on my list. And I was wondering if you had any of those movies where the first time you saw them, you just knew, like, oh, this is one one that I'm keeping forever. Oh, uh, the most recent Spider-Man movie. Yes. Um, just because of having Garfield and, and McGuire in there, just that full combination of everything and the, the complete story of it, totally in for. Um, I'm trying to think of something even more recent where I'm just like, really, the Jump Street movies to me? Uh, I'm 21 <laughs> yeah. and 22. I talk about them all the time. They are modern classics to me. I always put them on. Um, I, what, I mean, it's hard for me to think of ones that also like uh, it. Chapter one is definitely one that I love. I think this is, is definitely qualifying you know time will tell if i actually go back and rewatch it yeah i tend to i tend to really stick to comedies as my rewatchables um old school old school is one that i go back to all the time actually if we're talking comedies uh i really like that one basketball is a personal favorite of mine <laughs> where i i just put it on i love it um yeah. 
I'm trying to think of time, like, because nowadays it's always me just going to go watch a Marvel movie. And as much as I like to defend them, about 75% of them I'm not going to put on again. But Same. I will I, I will watch, I'll watch a Ragnarok. Every, I'll watch every one of them, but I rarely go back and rewatch them. Yeah, yeah. Ragnarok is one that I rewatched. Uh, the Guardians movies the, I Both the Guardians ones uh, stand um, up. And yeah, that's but, really like kind of about it, you know? Um, and I love them. I'm there for the next one, but I just kind of... The Critter to... Christmas episode of South Park is something that I go back to a lot. <laughs> It's so dark. It's so evil, and I absolutely love it. Uh, uh, Flight of the Concords, both of those oh, seasons yeah. of television. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I told you I saw those guys live, right? Oh, not yeah, you did. I think so because I had tickets yeah. to them one time, and I sold them because it was mid-August and it was an outdoor venue. Uh, and I was like, no thanks, misery in Florida. Yeah. yeah. Uh, All right. Well, we can move on. Okay. So, I, but now I'm racking my brain because what'll happen is we'll finish recording. I'm like, damn, why didn't I talk about? <laughs> I got to email him a list. <laughs> yeah, here's a movie set definitely, uh, you know, exists on that. Speed Racer, I think, would be one. Um, okay. Because I recently rewatched it for another podcast. That episode is out now in the movie Draft House. I still love that movie. Like, Ooh, it is, on that note, yeah, I, it Angel brings me Alita. a lot of joy. What's that? Bat- Battle Angel Alita was I need one to of those watch for me. That. I haven't oh, seen it, but I just love it. Okay, so rather than ask you uh, which kid is your favorite, it's hard okay. to pick. It's hard to pick a favorite kid. Not me. Uh, I decided to raise the stakes. Okay, so you got to pick one kid. Okay. And the rest are going to get thrown into a volcano. Oh, Mr. Explosives. Give me yeah? that kid all day. Yeah. That's <laughs> like, so you're going to let Alice die and let the uh, the explosives get So, lit? yep. Yep. <laughs> I was going to try to argue with myself, but no. Kid with the explosives. That's awesome. He's the guy I relate to most. Like, I told you I set my driveway on fire. I think I told that story on this pod. Where, you know, me and my brother were at home and we grabbed a bunch of pine needles and we're setting them on fire in the driveway. My dad pulls in. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know, I, I I relate to him. I set the swimming pool on fire. You did. That's right. We t- definitely have told these stories. <laughs> I think on our ET episode. So this movie is yeah, yeah. bringing back uh, those those sorts so, of memories. On that note, did you ever have any projects like this as a kid like not necessarily movie making projects but stuff like building forts or building ramps where all the kids in the neighborhood got together and like tried to do a thing not all the kids in the neighborhood me and my brother really was the big thing we dug a gigantic hole in our backyard i don't know if you've ever just said fuck we're digging a hole yes we probably should have had some locates done but we didn't we dug a hole fortunately we never hit any pipes or electric or anything like that we dug a big ass hole and my dad being my dad, he sees it. He goes, no problem with it. For one, my dad was super chill about it. He's like, hey, <laughs> hey doing drugs, digging a big ass hole. I'm fine with it. So we dug one and you could, you could get in it and the ground would be above your head. It was six feet deep or so. And so one day my dad's got a bunch of stuff that he doesn't want to have to call to throw out. So he buries it in our big ass hole, including a, like a treadmill. Or, <laughs> and so he fills it in. And so there is, I drive by my old childhood house all the time. There is a, 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 
a re- uh, an exercise bike buried in someone's backyard, and I just I want to be there the day they go to dig it up. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, that's the other thing is we did have a, a VHS camcorder, and we made little goofy skits and stuff. Like I said, I I've always been a comedy guy, and that's kind of what I was saying. Like I don't know that I can hang out with this kid because I was more of a just make fun sort of kind of guy we had a videotape of like skits and stuff we did that's pretty awesome. how about you do you still have access to those no i wish man it would be so great yeah i, I love finding stuff like that i found a, a vhs tape of myself on the news when i was uh, like a senior in high school not too long ago and i was like oh this is awesome like yeah that just is being awesome. able to see that stuff is cool yeah we did stuff like uh we oh, in the winter we're always trying to make egg glues. Never really worked out too well. We, like they give you the like those, those brick makers, those snow brick makers, you know, which is just like a mold you pack with snow and and goddamn that takes forever to make a wall with one of those snow brick. You makers. can tell we, we not... grew up in different parts of the nation. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I was digging um, holes in Florida. You got, you you never come up with making an igloo in Florida. There were some uh, some summertime forts that were built. Uh, usually lasted less than like three days. You know, like it was a big project. It was a big project. And then everybody just kind of wanders away. Um, bike ramps were a big one. Um, one year we decided my, my buddy got a mini bike, like one of those little tiny motorcycles. Uh, and we decided that we were going to wear a trail in the forest and create our own path, you know, to do like our own mini bike course. And, uh, that lasted a few days. It was not successful. Um, but yeah, it's fun to have projects like that when you're a kid. Nothing on the scale of what Charles is trying to pull off, of course. Right. I I, I didn't have that much um what's the term? Administrative ability. It was just me and my wanted to dig a hole. Either that or set the porch on fire. Let's dig a <laughs> hole, you know. Right. So when you were a kid, you you did have home movies. Did you have like projector movies? No, like, are you that, that I think old? that predates me just a bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we did. We did. We had uh, no sound though, but we had a projector, and then the family had films from when my mom was a kid. So we're talking yeah. like like early fifties, you know, uh, all the way to the early sixties. And at Thanksgiving and Christmas, they'd break out the projector and the screen, and the family would watch the old movies from when they were kids, uh, which was neat. Uh, do you remember CB radios? Oh yeah. When that yeah. was like the big shit, my dad had one. We did the Breaker Breaker One Nine down the highway. Yep. Same, absolutely. Yep, we had yeah. them in both our cars. We had one in the basement, like a big one with a big ass antenna that my dad put on the roof. Uh, very so cool. This is somewhat related, you know, because you're driving down the highway with it. But my dad actually had police radio, uh, a police radar in his car. So if someone's zipping down the highway past them at like 100, he'll flip it on and they will slow way down because they'll have the radar detectors in their cars. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so they go, Bew! and they pass them. He'd flip it on. He'd go, watch this, boys. Flip it on. And <laughs> that's fantastic. Are radar detectors still a thing? Like, do people still have I'd those? I'd have to ask Mark because um, he's a police officer. He may he would know if... Uh, you know, if, if radar detectors still work, you know, you'd think yeah. the technology had advanced to a point where they wouldn't. But the last time I remember even seeing or hearing about one was like in the early 90s. Like it's been a it's been a minute since people like talked about radar detectors. Yeah. Uh, how about a, uh, a cassette Walkman? Were you old enough to have a cassette Walkman? 
I I believe I did. My sister even made mixtapes for me. Like the yes, I uh, I'm thankful eternally to my older sister for giving me good taste in music. Um, she made me a mixtape of REM, B52s, uh, you know, stuff that I still listen to that's good. And I'd go over to my cousin's house, um, and her that there was three girls, my cousins um, that I was closest with. These three girls. All of them loved country music. And I mean, not the good bluegrass stuff. Travis Tritt, Alan Jett, just the shittiest shit. No offense. <laughs> I don't know what you like or don't, but I hated country music. And they had speakers in every room in the house and all tied to one system. So if they were listening to it, so were you. And fortunately, my sister, again, made me those mixtapes with these bands that I still love that I could take my Walkman and put it on. It's like, God, they're awful, you know, and and, and listen to something I enjoy. There is no denying the power of a good mixtape. And there's also, like, you can't oversell the effort that it took to make one. Like, someone gave you a mixtape that was a labor of love. And, yeah. and like as a big mixtape maker, I know that I put a lot of thought into what was going on those tapes and in what order and, you know, like <laughs> like the timing so that it didn't cut off in the middle of a song at the end. And like, yep. yeah, man, I and, and I think that is a lost art from kids from the 80s and 90s. Like the mixtape is is now gone you just have now. playlist. You just throw it together and send it out. But even. Like, so for me, though, it was more the CD because you would go on your computer and you could line up what you wanted and you had 75 minutes of music. So you had to edit and pick and choose. And I still have uh, a couple I've made of bands I liked where they had greatest hits albums and I made their second greatest hits albums. Like, these are what songs are like honorable mentions or whatever. You know, I had those and um, that's awesome. The best so I definitely tracks. had the CD player where, you know, one skip technology came out where it would buffer like eight seconds and it wouldn't skip when you're listening on the road. Loved that. Yeah. My, my question actually says, do you have a cassette Walkman or a CD Walkman that skipped all the time? So I guess I guess you got around that. I did. Uh, well, I think my first one did like so I remember my dad got me a CD player for a birthday. And my first CD I ever owned was the soundtrack to Wayne's World. Excellent. Um, Party time. Yeah. Really good. I mean, because you had Bohemian Rhapsody and all the other rock bands and stuff on there. So it was really good. And of course, Weird Al. I was a huge Weird Al fan. Uh, so I had Weird Al albums. But uh, yeah, I just, I don't know where I was going with that. But yeah, I definitely had the the CD player that had the anti-skip technology. Yeah, I my first one did not, and I remember listening to it in my car with the with they had the cassette like you'd plug the cassette yes! thing and you yeah. pop that into the cassette player and you could play the CD through the cassette thing. Um, that remarkable piece of tech, and every time I would really hit a bump, is. it would it would skip, and uh, yeah, it was funny. So yeah, this movie obviously it made me think a lot about like tech and it, it it zeroes in on it a little bit right like the guy don't touch my cb and and the whole thing where the the sheriff calls the then his ass doesn't know how to use it. like don't touch my cb and then later he's like breaker breaker one nine right. i need the police is this the police channel he doesn't know anything yeah. about cb 
uh, the sheriff calling the Walkman a slippery slope, which is uh, oh yeah, goddamn, was he right? I mean, like, there's a piece of me that feels like if I could take cell phones and wipe them off the face of the earth, I might be tempted to do it. If I could do like a Thanos snap on cell phones and just get rid of them. Oh my God. I hate them. I just, I went the longest without one and my wife made me get one. I don't know why. Like I would back up and say, if I could get rid of social media, I would. Cause my biggest problem with cell phones is social media. Like, or yeah, just, that's that's true. Like, if it, I to a lesser degree, I would get rid of social media, but cell phones themselves. Like, I just like watching this movie. The moment where where Joe and uh, George end up on the bus and they get carted away, and their family doesn't necessarily know where they are, and then they kind of meet up later. Like that was kind of the general state of being back then, right? Like. It's not like you just pull out the phone and be like, the military is putting me on the bus. I'm going to be at such and such. You know, like you just, you would just not know yeah. where everyone was at all the time. And there was, there was a freedom in that. Like, I, I get that. I, I didn't want people to be able to find me all the time. You know, I didn't want this device in my pocket that just shackles me to the rest of the world. Yeah. Like, I can agree I, with that. Cause there was it, a, a point where I was particularly stressed out and I, I, friend of mine we went out and i just man i need to de-stress and yet my phone still tethered me to the people that were stressing me out you know they were still able to find me (laughs) i was like "Ah." yeah it's just it was a nice thing when i was a kid uh we could leave in the morning and not come back until dinner and nobody knew where we were and nobody worried about us, right? Like with that constant connection comes the need for that constant connection. Uh, you I'm know? reminded of uh, my buddy Scott and I skipping school one day to go watch when they re-released uh, Star Wars in the theaters, the the dumpy cut, the one with all the extra CG. Yeah. We skipped school to, to watch uh, A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back back to back. Excellent. And, you, know, you know, no one could knew anything and then we called my dad to pick us up he was so mad <laughs> he's like it's like 9 p.m damn it <laughs> I <gotta> get dressed. <laughs> that's fantastic yeah so it, it kind of like made me think about like the nostalgia in film right and i don't really have a question here but it's just like a concept that i was kind of rolling around in my head like like we watched the early spielberg films And they create this sense of nostalgia. I mean, for me, because I remember seeing them for the first time. I remember where I was and who I was with when I saw a lot of these movies. And at the time they came out, they were like really current. You know, like the kid had Star Wars posters on the wall and post- Poltergeist because everybody had Star Wars posters on their wall when they yeah. were kids, you know? And and so that just, it looked like a modern kid's room at the time that the movie came out, right? And now we look back on them and you get the sense of nostalgia, like, oh, look at that and look at that and look at his comforter. He's got the Star Wars comforter. And blah, blah. Uh, but at the time that it was made, it was it was just whatever was currently going on in the world. And, and then this movie, the way that it kind of recreates that like through a sense of like being a period film um and in in my mind does it very successfully like very successful period film when director kid is digging around in his room looking for that room felt real to me i've been in a friend's room that looked like that 
Absolutely. Like uh, Joe has this space shuttle poster on his wall, which was, I think, I mean, this took place before the space shuttle ever launched. Right. So it's a concept poster for the future NASA space shuttle, which, which I thought was really cool. Well, a movie kid had a Halloween poster. Yeah. The original Halloween poster. So, yeah. So, yeah, I thought that it did a really good job and and it made me think about like what what a good period piece looks like versus an idealized period piece. And that made me think of like Captain America, right? The 1940s Captain America and how like stylized that version of the 40s is. And even uh, the World War One and the Wonder Woman movie, like you mentioned. Yeah. Um, like it it gets the cars right and it gets the buildings right and it gets the costumes right but it doesn't get the everyday minutia of life right like this movie does you yeah, know like, i agree and that's that to me is the difference and that's why i was going to bring up mrs Maisel. it's another show that's a period piece that maybe does get the minutia of life a little better you know um they, they really spend a lot of time in that movie like doing the sets and filling them with you know, it's more detail, you know, yeah. just more detail of what people's daily lives were like. Um, so that's all. I mean, it just, it just made me think about, about that sense of nostalgia. And it also brought to mind that we are as removed from ET, right. As ET was removed from the wizard of Oz, like very really? close, like in a, in a couple of years, we will be like at that point. You know, and so what was it like for people in the 80s to watch movies from the 40s? You know, because that's what it's like for us to watch these movies from the 80s. It's <laughs> the same time frame, which yeah. uh, kind of burned my brain a little bit. And uh, those sorts sad. of things tend to do that to me, too. Yeah. So. <laughs> so that's all. That's all. It's no no question. Just like a, a train of thought that I went down this morning regarding, you know, like period pieces and and representation of time frames and you know like i think there's a real there's a real talent to pulling it off you know and and i think these these guys definitely like really nailed it really really nailed it oh yeah this is the most spielberg movie like (laughs) even more so than a lot of spielberg this thing is spielberg and the only time where i'm like oh yeah jj abrams is when you get the lens flares Oh my like, god, okay. the lens flares. Oh, At least they're not overdone in this like they are in the Star Trek films. But yeah. it there it are moments when they pop up where I'm like, oh yeah. Like he's kind of peeking out of the corner waving, hey, that could die in a fire, but it's a very nitpicky critique of an I, otherwise I'm glad that he, he pulled away he pulled away from those for the Star Wars films. Like they're in there a little bit, but they don't they don't fit, right? Which is probably yeah. why uh like within the visual Well and Disney was probably like it's don't don't it's, do it star wars dude <laughs> to make it look like star wars <laughs> don't make yeah. it look like your crazy star trek movies like i i really love those star trek movies but man those lens flares i mean it's just like good it's, lord it's too much yeah and yeah anyway uh, but uh, that doesn't take away from super eight at all and i i uh, wholeheartedly loved super eight so thank you for having us watch it because i probably never would have got around to it Oh, fantastic. I'm so glad you liked it. So uh, what do we got coming up next? All right. So we're our last stop here in our three-week tour of 2011 is War Horse, um, a War movie Horse. about a damn horse. Yeah. So 
uh, a war movie. Is this our last war movie? Is it the no, last Spielberg war movie? No, don't we have like, well, I don't know, because I haven't seen some of these because we have Lincoln. Maybe you could look maybe, at. Maybe, maybe it's you a war movie. I don't know. This Bridge of it. Spies. No, nah, it's not a war movie. It's like a spy what, movie. What is the post about? Is it the about po- mailing things? No, no. It's about the Washington Post about a newspaper. Okay. So, yeah. I this, mean, War Horse Lincoln it. then, I guess. Yeah, but yeah, this might be it for like committed war movies. This is a World War One movie, and it'll be interesting to talk about because it's based on a stage play where they did the horse with puppets. Oh, see, right? I want to watch that version. Yeah, and, and I want the talking puppet horse. And it doesn't talk. Oh, <laughs> so no never mind then. But it's like one of those really intricate, like you know, when Broadway does like a crazy ass thing, and everybody's like, "You got to see this crazy ass thing they're doing." They made this horse with puppets, and it's one of those deals. And then he took it and turned it into a film. I'll I'll find out more about that process and and how this all worked out for for our next podcast. But yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to watch it because when I saw the movie the first time, I didn't know that. So yeah, you never disappoint with the research. So. Uh, if you want to find more from us, you can go to GamingNexus.com for Eric's written reviews. His YouTube channel is Eric underscore Hotter, and you can find him at Twitter. Or not Eric underscore Hotter. That's his Twitter. His YouTube is Eric Hotter. You can find me at Podcast by Jeff. You can also check out my other podcast, the 10-week pro wrestling crash course and the movie Draft House. Uh, both of those exist in this world. So we'll see you next week for Warhorse. Thanks, y'all. Bye.